the reality of this day and this stand and this moment that you stood here and made a testimony for Christ equals um, a spiritual um, putting a stake in the ground. You have put up a flag and the enemy isn't happy about it. And when we do that, I just want to... Um, both warn and encourage you. There's going to be some kind of resistance that's going to come. And I want you to be ready for it. And we're going to talk a little bit about it in, in the sermon. Um, and, and I hope it's okay to share a little bit. Francis already faced some opposition this past week. And I faced opposition this past week. I mean, everything was going and blowing, and it was great. We had our daughter here last weekend, and she left on Tuesday. We had discussion groups on Wednesday. It was awesome. And I woke up Thursday feeling terrible. And it lasted all through Thursday and all through Friday. And I'm like, well, of course, we're having a water baptism service Sunday. So that there you go. You're going to have some opposition. So. So um, that's a reality, and I just want us to, as a congregation, to be prepared for that and to understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that there is no name above the name of Jesus, that we are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to meet whatever resistance may come our way. But if you go about life thinking, okay, everything's all jolly and happy now, and there should be no problem, and then a problem comes, you can face discouragement and say, well, wait, what was that about? I thought that everything's supposed to be just smooth sailing now. Hallelujah, it's not. <laughs> We're going to face resistance. We're, and that's a good thing because that means you are going against the course of this world. And I loved Roy's testimony. <laughs> He's, he has been convicted and, and is, he has turned a 180, friends. And I saw him last week during the sermon. I said, I wonder what the friends of the sinners thought. And he's had to deal with that. He's had to deal with friends that are saying, like, why aren't you still enjoying loving sinning with us? You know, hey, sometimes we have to turn a 180 and then we face resistance. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. Well, we are going to talk about our series that we're in for Lent, 40 Days of Decrease. And I just want to, we're almost halfway through. This is the third Sunday of Lent out of six Sundays. The 20th day will come this coming week um, of the 40 days. And so we're almost halfway through. And I just want to make a few um, observations of how this has been working for us so far. And then we're going to share a story from scripture and see how some of the same things went on there. First thing I have heard from more than one of you in a variety of settings that we keep having this curious coincidence. Just such a curious coincidence. How did God know on this day for this reading that I would be doing this thing or that this would be happening for me this day? And I have heard it from uh, Tom. I've heard it from Francis. I've heard it in the discussion groups. And it's like, listen, folks, when we commit ourselves to following Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going with us. And he will take whatever we've committed ourselves to and make that word come alive for us. And so you're going to face some curious coincidences. How, how did that happen? Well, because the Lord knows where we are and he knows the word that we need for this time. 
I've heard us, I've heard several say compassionate conviction has happened. It'll go something like this. The fast today was convicting and helped me to decrease in that area so that Jesus can increase. And through this conviction and repentance, I can see God at work in my life. But it's a conviction that is applicable to right now. Like, oh, that's exactly what I needed right now. This is convicting me for now. But it's compassionate, friends. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, it is never about condemnation. It is never about beating you down. It is never about hopelessness. It is about hope. It is about new life. It is about the potential for change and transformation. It's a compassionate conviction that helps you see the light in whatever area that one might have been and it helps move you forward. Amen. Candid conversations. These discussion groups have been great. They have opened up conversation in areas that aren't in the book. You know, it's not necessarily what we're talking about that day, but it helps us to have some candid conversations, to dig deeper, to to open up with each other, help us be vulnerable and offer support to when we hear each other's stories, it just changes how we see each other, the level of support that we want to give each other. And it's very meaningful that, that this is happening in these candid conversations, which then lead to community connections. Folks, as we see the Holy Spirit at work in us individually, as we respond to those compassionate convictions, as we repent, we will be transformed. We are sharing our lives with one another. And guess what's happening? We are experiencing transforming community. We are experiencing transforming community. Did you hear Francis and Roy's testimony? It was about the difference that coming right here made for them. You are setting an atmosphere for transformation. We don't do the transformation. Jesus is the one who does the transformation. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the transformation. But people, you don't just walk into any certain place and encounter that presence of God that makes the difference. And something about your living and your breathing and your worshiping and the way you are following Jesus is making a difference. And we are a transforming community and transformation is happening. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for the work you are doing at Vienna Assembly of God. Can somebody say amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> so we're going to take a look at a story. And um, as I mentioned last week, I am using materials that Dr. Sholee has shared that go along with the series of 40 Days of Decrease. And I was struggling with today's recommendation. But um, the Lord has a way of making things come together. Can you say amen? And, I, and so I, I, I wasn't even going to share this story, but here, I feel like the Lord is saying, oh yeah, this is, this is going to work. This is what we need to talk about for a minute. So we're in Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to read, not, I'm not going to read the whole text all the way through. I'm going to read a moment, comment, read a moment, comment. So it's a little bit different than how we usually work through a text, but that's how we're going to do it today. 
This is um, sometimes called the prodigal son, the lost prodigal. Another great way to think about it is the welcoming father. The story of the welcoming father, but here we go. In verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That was um, a very rude thing in that culture to have done. It was a, it was a statement of total disrespect and disregard for all family conventions and everything. So already his listeners are going like, what in the world? You know, how, how could that happen? Okay, so he's got their attention. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. There were a few parties. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. What a curious coincidence. <laughs> if we will keep our eyes open, life in God is full of curious coincidences, folks. And so here he is, about the time he's completely bottomed out, has nothing, there's not even anywhere to go get a job. There are no jobs. There are no, um, the, the economy is not buzzing anymore. There is a famine. And the only thing he can even do to make a living is to uh, go where verse 15 says. Verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Again, he's got the crowd's attention because that is like the lowliest, lowliest of the lowly. And here's what this young man is doing. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Here we see compassionate conviction. He came to his senses. He came to his senses. The conviction was there. And he realized the only way forward for me is repentance. The only way forward for me is to go back to my father. There is no other way. Isn't that a compassionate thing that the Holy Spirit does for us? He lets us know the only way forward <laughs> is to go back. Go back to your father. Go back to him. Repent. Turn around. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy 
of being called your son. He's having the candid conversation. He, has, he is openly saying, I get it. I see how bad my sin was. It's against heaven and you. It is, it is all encompassing. I have sinned, O oh Lord. And he is, he is saying, can I at least come and just be a servant? I am not worthy of being called your son. When we come before the Lord in repentance, let's be candid. Let's don't try to, well, Lord, that yes, I did that. But did you see what so-and-so did? Or it wasn't as bad as whatever. Just, let's just do it. But verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began community connections, the party, the real party, not that out there wasting all the money party. This is the party of new life. The father has welcomed him back in. He's put a robe on him, a ring. He's brought him into full restoration. Oh, it's amazing. It's a great story. How exciting. They have the son who was lost come home. He's welcomed with love and restored with freedom. Amen. Just like we saw today and all God's people were saying amen and amen. And then Jesus said, amen. The end. right? What? That wasn't the end of that story? Oh, because it's such a great ending. It ended with a party. It's awesome, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, no, nah, there's still seven more verses. All right, let's see. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to, and in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then that was the end of the story. We had to celebrate. 
So Dr. Sholee, in, in looking at this story, she calls this, these final verses an example of big brother bookkeeping. <laughs> and here's what that meant. He saw himself as overworked and under-rewarded. He called himself a slave. I've been sitting here slaving for you all these years. How did the father respond to him? Dear son, dear son, you're always with me. And instead of understanding that relationship and it rejoicing in that relationship, he had turned it into a transactional thing of just work, work, slave, that kind of a thing. Friends, those of you that have been in the faith for a long time, don't go there. Don't move away from that dear, precious father-child relationship with God. Okay? He loves us. He loves us. The big brother determined his value comparatively. He couldn't remember having had a fattened calf killed on his behalf. We don't know if that's really true, but that's what he said, that it had never happened for him. And that the level of celebration was just like, by comparison, just not right. Listen, we are rejoicing in celebrating new life today. <laughs> and I want us to all, just as Susan said, we all felt that joy. We all feel that. And, and I don't, I don't sense big brother bookkeeping in this house. And I think that's one of the reasons that this was hard for me to fully tune into. But I do want to say, let's don't ever go there. Let's don't ever go there. Okay. The last thing was he resented the father's generosity. Now, listen, we got to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. If somebody else gets a better blessing than you, we got to rejoice with them. We can't, we can't be jealous of the Father's generosity on their life. I'm going to be closing it up here. And here's the way that we're going to end today. Let us learn from Jesus. He invites us to decrease in attitudes that are like big brother bookkeeping. We don't, we want to enter into relationship. We want to enter into rejoicing with those who rejoice and not comparing one to another. We want to increase in joy and rejoicing <laughs> when we experience new life and see others brought to eternal life. The way we're going to end today is with a celebration. We've got a, a, just a simple little cookie tray over here. But we're going to welcome some new members. And then we're going to just have a time where you can congratulate each of our baptism candidates. Okay? Are you here today? ready to enter a candid conversation with the Father. I want to make sure that we are all walking in new life, and I believe we are, as I'm looking at who's here today. I think we are. But even then, there are times where we must have that candid conversation with the Lord. We must open up before Him 
Repent for those things that he is being compassionate enough to convict us of. Thank you, Lord, that he loves us so much. He doesn't just leave us to stray away on our own. He will, he is the good shepherd that keeps bringing us back around. As those who are baptized today affirm their faith in Jesus as their Savior, that's it. That's how we come to new life. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the result of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But then in Romans 10, it says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, believing in our heart that God did raise him from the dead, we will be saved. That everyone, verse 13, everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we want to rejoice in the new life that is available through Christ.